0: views expressed on this program are those of the hosts, guests, and callers, and are not necessarily those of the station, its management, or other advertisers. You're listening to Transformation Talk Radio. Are you ready to stop stress, anxiety, and low self-esteem from running your life? Join award-winning author, Dr. Friedman Schaub from Empowerment Radio, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges in our day-to-day lives. Find out how you can use the power of your mind to overcome self-sabotaging patterns and build a solid foundation of confidence and self-respect. Learn cutting-edge tools and approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. This is the time to empower yourself. Now here's your host... Dr. Friedemann Schaub.
1: Welcome to Empowerment Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Friedman, And today we are talking about something that I find is so important in our lives and a topic that we often avoid. You know, when you're with friends, you may avoid to talk about money. You may avoid talking about politics, and you also may avoid talking about religion, spirituality, faith. These are things that often we don't necessarily share because it seems to be very private. But at the same time, it's incredibly valuable to actually be able to have some sort of faith, belief, spirituality in our lives. Now, when I grew up, it was pretty much cut and dry. Somewhere in the south of Germany, in the Black Forest, there were two churches. It was either you were Catholic or you were Protestant, and that was it. Now, it was pretty sharp divided at that time, so if you were Protestant like me, Lutheran, you were not supposed to date a Catholic, and the other way around. Now, to my grandparents' time, even there were two fire brigades. There were the Catholic one, and there was a Protestant one, and they only went to the appropriate part of their congregation, and certainly not to the other side. So that was really a little confusing for me (laughs) at times. Why, if we are all Christians, why should this be such a divide? Now, it wasn't only that, that at some point made me venture off on my own spiritual journey, but I also found the sermons really boring, and I found that my deeper questions didn't really get answered by the people I talked with from church, so I looked for other ways to find those answers on those questions about life, death, purpose, and so on. So I went into exploring Russian mysticism, I looked into um, uh, tarot, I looked into shamanism, into Asian and uh, Eastern cultural uh, religions and traditions, and uh, even into uh, unity and Christian science and uh, science of mind. And, And at the end, I found that there are just so many similarities and so many overlaps to those traditions and religions in the world that it doesn't really make sense that one is more right than the other. And so I'm one of those who are becoming more and more that would call themselves spiritual, but not religious. Now, what does that even mean? And how can you have a spirituality without really that framework, maybe even the rules and dogmata of a religion? Well, that's exactly what we're going to talk about today. And I find this topic so important because as you know, know, I'm working with a lot of people that are dealing with fear, anxiety, insecurity, depression, and, and really fundamental pain in their lives. And if there is something to hold on to that goes beyond themselves, that goes into the belief of a higher power, of something greater, of something that gives meaning, there is a bridge that is so healing in itself that can bring so much hope that there is just already a light at the end of the tunnel. That doesn't mean that you cannot heal from all of those challenges without any kind of faith and belief, but it often makes it easier. There is something in spirituality that for me, who has been struggling with trust and finding peace in his life for many, many years, that sense of there is a spiritual connection I have, that sense of peace that I gain from that is something that uh, I think nothing else was able to provide me with. So it's, it's really a, a, an important topic, especially in a time in our world where so many things are happening that don't seem to make sense. And somehow we need to try to make sense out of it for each of us individually, but also as a global world community. So I'm delighted to discuss all of those things with my special guest today, who wrote a book about this topic. And his name is Ben Jamieson. And he wrote the book, Church-Free Spirituality, How to Craft a Spiritual Practice Beyond the Bounds of Religion. So thank you so much, Ben, for joining us on Empowerment Radio. It's my pleasure. So Ben, Tell me a little bit about your pathway, your spiritual quest, and why you even came up with writing a book like that. Sure.
2: So um, I was raised in one of the philosophies that you mentioned in your in your introduction. I was raised in the unity philosophy. Mm. Um, unity is a it's a very open spiritual life philosophy, much more than a traditional religion. Um, but despite having been raised in this very open, loving, accepting philosophy that really takes all manner of spiritual teachings from anywhere. You can accumulate whatever you like, whatever works for you. Despite all of that, I was raised in the Midwest, which is very much a Bible Belt type of part of the country. So there was a lot of fundamentalist religion around me. And as a young boy of about eight years old, I started talking about spirituality with people because I was really enjoying what I was learning and what I received back from that more traditional fundamentalist view, was not something that was very time supportive for me. I got the very typical sort of ideas about how wrong and awful I was for thinking these things, um, all of the the typical ideas about heaven and hell and, and all of that. And because of that, being a young person and not really knowing how to deal with that, I decided to ditch everything to do with spirituality altogether. And so I spent about 15 years of my life without being engaged at all and consequently my life went downhill quite significantly.
1: So were you calling um, like I, yourself an atheist or how would you have called yourself at that time?
2: I wouldn't have called myself an atheist. I still had that, that spiritual background, I just wasn't doing anything with it. I wasn't practicing it. Mm. My focus was not on what was inspiring and uplifting and supportive to me, but it was on what I perceived to be wrong in every other spiritual practice. Right, And because of that, I had that very constricted, angry, negative experience. Mm. Um, so at, at one point, um, I the, the low point was when I, I felt so low about myself that I hoped I would win the lottery not to be rich, but so that I could convince somebody to pretend to love me for my money. Um, And that was the most I thought I could do. Mm. Um, At that point, I decided there had to be a change made. Um, So the last ditch effort for me was to go back to spirituality. And I ended up at a, uh, a Science of Mind Center. You mentioned them earlier as well, now called Centers for Spiritual Living. I re-engaged with my spiritual practice there and started to learn about how we create a spiritual practice and I started to practice these things like meditation and affirmations, contemplation, all of these different tools and my life got better and better and better. Over time, it got to the point where I was considering, you know, I, I was pretty lucky in that I was walking distance from this spiritual center where I felt like a fit, where I felt welcome and connected so I could learn these ideas. But I thought to myself, well, what if I hadn't had that opportunity? What if I didn't live close to a spiritual center where there was nothing that really felt right for me? What would I have wanted? What would I have needed to help get me from where I was, where I now find myself? Uh, and that was the, uh, the inspiration for the book. This book is what I would have wanted back when I was at my lowest point if I didn't have that spiritual center to help re-engage in my spiritual practice.
1: Now, you mentioned before that at your low points, You were wanting to win in the lottery so that someone could actually be bought to love you. So does that mean that without spirituality, you had a lack of self-love? And why was that? Um, Absolutely. So
2: the reason that I had the lack of self-love was not necessarily uh, because I didn't have spirituality, but it was because I didn't understand how I was focusing. So one of the things about a spiritual practice versus a religion, not that there's a versus or, or a battle between the two, um, but spirituality is very much more about how we relate to the world around us. So what I was doing in my life is I was focusing on everything that was wrong. I was focusing on the ideas of that I had picked up from somewhere about being unlovable. I was focusing on all of these negative things. And as you put your focus on those things, that's what we tend to experience more and more. So what I realize is that I was creating the very experiences that I was having because of how I was focusing. Um, One of the things that I like to to share is that for many years, I celebrated Singles Awareness Day instead of Valentine's Day. And Mm -hmm. I would very smugly go up to all of the people who were in relationships and say, happy Singles Awareness Day. Enjoy that expensive dinner you're going to go out to. And after a couple of years, I realized, wait a second, I am disparaging a holiday That celebrates love and connection. And then every year I'm single on that holiday where I'm disparaging love and connection. No wonder I'm creating this experience for myself over and over again by how I'm relating to it. Mm -hmm. So I shifted. I stopped doing that. I started focusing on the fact that it's a celebration of love. And I started honoring the friends of mine who were in those committed relationships and started looking for what I wanted to experience in my life. And by shifting my perspective from what's wrong with me and how come I can't and why is this all terrible to this is what I'm focusing on, what I want to receive, what I want to experience, that then shifted my consciousness and opened me up to be able to have a wonderful connected relationship. And so that's the thing about spirituality is that it's, it takes us, it takes us to task in our own consciousness. It really brings us to looking at how we are creating our own experience And through these tools, how we can then shift that experience.
1: Now, why do you believe, I mean, you described you were angry. And Mm -hmm. I think you were angry because maybe like I was disappointed, you didn't really find a resonance with those more, uh, you know, conventional religions that were available in the Midwest. But do you believe that a lot of people are disillusioned and angry with the churches or the religions that are available, and, and why is that? Where, where does that come from?
2: So yeah, I, I think a lot of people are, and you know that comes from a, a phenomenon that's really um, prominent here in the United States, not so much in other parts of the world, but um, particularly here, um, that, that so many people are damaged by their religion of origin. Um, the religion that they come out from. So somehow, and even if it's not their religion of origin, so my religion of origin, so to speak, was unity, was this open, loving, affirming, new thought community. Yet what was around me was this more fundamentalist, conservative, hellfire and damnation type of philosophy. And so even though that was not my religion of origin, I was on the receiving end of that. So we have this this feeling of being damaged by religion. And that's why I think so many people are frustrated.
1: But then how? hmm? Damaged how?
2: So um, it could be something uh, very intense, like somebody who is uh, is gay Mm -hmm. and is completely rejected by not only their religion, but by their family. Um, For me, you know, it was this eight year old little kid talking about how wonderful love and spirituality is and being told, Oh, you don't believe you're a miserable sinner. So you're going to burn in hell forever. Um, and, and, not, not knowing how to deal with that and having all of that negativity come at me and not being able to process it. Hmm. Um, so it's a lot of that. And it's a lot of the philosophy too. Um, particularly when we get into more, uh, more fundamentalist beliefs. And I, I don't want to be fundamentalist bashing because ultimately I think that there is a purpose for every religion out there. Uh, if, it, if it weren't useful for people, people wouldn't participate in it and it wouldn't be in existence. Um, but some of those more constricted ideas, those more um, angry, uh, animosity-driven ideas, those just don't feel good. and And it's so easy to have that, come something that we take on personally if we're not really aware of the difference between no oh, this is this is what i believe and i'm solid in my belief and my experience and can allow you to have yours and not take on those things that you're saying about me um, whether that's from within or without of that particular reason. right
1: right now when we come back we will talk about the most important question right now which is yes you are disillusioned you feel angry you feel frustrated you wonder Also, those questions of how can a God, if there even is one, allow all these horrible things to happen in the world right now? So you turn yourself away from any kind of religion that you grew up with or that you heard of, but then something inside of you is still nagging at you and said, no, it feels good to have a belief. There must be something. I want to find something. I want to go on a spiritual path. I want to grow. I have no idea how to do that. When we come back, we will talk about, with the expert, the author Ben Jameson, about how to create a connection, not only just a practice, but just starting with reconnecting with your spirituality. When we come back, we'll talk about that. So stay tuned. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio a spiritual practice how to develop that how to connect to your spirituality without the confines of religion that's the topic of today and for that i'm talking with ben jameson who wrote a book about this before the break we just talked about how many people apparently it's in the us 30% that don't feel connected to a church or religion, that feel somehow either atheist, agnostic, or seekers that don't really know which way to go, what to belong to. It's a, it's a big part of our population, and worldwide, I believe, there is a trend to that. So where do you start? How do you begin with your spiritual quest? Now, you, Ben, were lucky that you were actually Uh, you know, moving next to a church or a non-denominational gathering in Science of Mind or uh, the Center for for Spiritual Living. But not everyone would either, you know, find something like this or want to go there. So maybe, you know, you find yourself sitting at home, not wanting to join anything. You want to be on your personal quest. How do you start?
2: Well, I would say the first place to start is to get my book. <laughs> <laughs> okay. <laughs> I think that's a wonderful, a wonderful way to go. But um, one of the things that I, I find most prevalent um, is the idea of God or the universe or spirit, whatever whatever that term is. And that's one of the things that really tends to turn people off the most. Um, and it comes down to, the, there's a really great Einstein quote, um, which I'm going to paraphrase, but it's something along the lines of, The most important decision you can make is whether or not we live in a friendly universe. So from that decision, if you believe you live in a friendly universe, then everything that you experience gets filtered through that belief. If you believe you live in a hostile universe, then you're going to see everything around you as hostile. So when it comes to this idea of spirituality, of religion, which at the ultimate expression of that is God, spirit, the universe, whatever your terminology is the best place to start is really to stop and think about what do you believe about that thing? There are the thoughts and the feelings that we have adopted from society, from our parents, from the religion we grew up in. And oftentimes those don't work for us anymore. So the question is, what do I believe about God? If I believe that spirit, the universe, again, use your own term. Don't don't let my wording uh, bring up a word allergy for you. Translate it into your own head because it's too important to let an allergy to a word get in the way of this stuff, right? So the first question is, what do you believe about that thing? Do you believe that it is unconditional love and unconditionally loving? If so, then any experience that you have, anything that you hear about spirit, about God, about the universe that does not align with that idea of unconditional loving must not be true. Now, if you believe that spirit is a punishing spirit, that it looks to um, to create harm and division, then you're going to have that experience all around you. Mm. We'll see things that help to support that belief. So, uh, psychologically speaking, um, you know, when we when we have a belief, our our brains seek to prove that belief to us. So, we will see things in the world that prove the belief structure that we present. So, if we really go in and say, "Look, this is," I've got this belief about God, that God is judgmental. I've got this belief about God that, um, you know, that, that God only loves certain people and that God damns people and that there is all of this animosity. And that just doesn't feel good inside of me. So what would feel good? What would feel good if I be- if I believed that God was, uh, was compassion and, and love and I believed that God was something that sought the highest and the best good for everybody all the time? How would that change the way I relate to the world around me? How can I really bring that experience into my viscera, into my heart center, and and have that become a real experience for me by looking for the proof of it? And if we look for the proof, seek and ye shall find, right? If we look for it, we're gonna find it. So I think the first place to start as a long-winded way to answer your question is to really look at what our beliefs are about that thing. God, spirit, the universe, whatever it is. And an interesting thing about that is that what we believe about that today is not going to be the thing that we believe about it tomorrow. Uh, there, The idea of infinite, I love this definition, um, that you know, infinite is everything until we don't understand anymore, and then everything past that we just label as infinite because we don't know what to do with it. Mm-hmm. So we have our understanding, and then we have not our understanding, and we just call that infinite. Well, in a similar way, I think a lot of times we have this basic understanding of God or spirit that stops here, and then we just label it all this other big infinite stuff that we can't quite comprehend. But as we continue to engage with our spiritual practice, our understanding of that is gonna change and gonna grow. Just like when we were learning multiplication, there was no way that we could ever consider trigonometry because we were just starting to learn that level of what math is. Same thing holds true with spirituality. It's a never-ending growth opportunity, which I think is incredibly exciting. Um, so does yeah. So I feel was-
1: like there is one, I mean, it's interesting because, you know, you you mentioned all these different definitions, universe, God, whatever, the infinite. Mm-hmm. But does spirituality ask you, like you suggested to make up your own version of whatever you want to believe in? I mean, religions would say, well, hold on a second. There are very clear definitions of the ancients or whoever was finding these religions that tell you what to think about a higher power, a god. Now, you are giving us the infinite freedom just to make it up the way you want to. How is that possible?
2: Well, so in the beginning, it was made up the way they wanted it to. Um, You know, all of the spiritual texts that have ever been written have been written through people. Um, And and the thing that happens when you filter anything, spiritually, uh, anything that's, you know, people uh, who are psychics or mediums or whatever, all of that gets filtered through the individual consciousness of the person who is writing it. And so that consciousness is like a lens through which we see everything. So if your lens is one of a... Uh, A 2,000 year ago, you know, Jewish mystic from 2,000 years ago, that lens of what you're going to be speaking comes through your society, your culture, the political environment that you were in, uh, the language that you have. You know, if we look at traditional religion and we look at Christianity, for example, they didn't know the science behind uh, fertility. We forget in our current system, we have all of this knowledge, we know all of this scientific stuff that was not known then. So the things that were said in that time didn't have the backing up of scientific fact, right? So it changes throughout time. Our understanding is always gonna change. And to say that we make it up to a degree, it's like, you've gotta find the thing that feels right for you because if and this is this is the thing with spirituality it's about what works for you so i can tell you everything that works for me and if you try that out and it doesn't work for you then it doesn't matter that i say it works it doesn't matter if a religion says this is the right way to do something if you try it that way and it doesn't show up as working for you then it doesn't work no matter who says it does so in that the question is, is it better to stick to a dogma that doesn't work for you because somebody says this is the way it is? Or is it better to make up your own thing? And in making it up, find that connection that was absent in the dogmatic viewpoint.
1: Now, I think that's a very important point, this feeling that there is a truth that resonates with you. I remember when I did uh, meditation and kundalini yoga, which, you know, comes from from India and uh, the Punjab uh, region. And uh, they always talked about that, you know, God and you are one and that God is within. And, you know, a concept that, you know, is certainly much more now uh, prevalent than at that time. And when I heard that, me as a good, you know, Lutheran boy, I was shocked because I thought, okay, wait a second, this is a clear separation. God is up there, I am down here. How can this be one? and So it took me a while to grow into it, but it was a resonance with it that felt good, that felt like, yeah, I mean, there is something that I don't know why, but it feels right. Now, the problem then is when people like you at the bottom of your non-spirituality don't really like yourself. So you're saying then, you know, I want to think about a God that loves me unconditionally, but you yourself don't really feel like lovable unconditionally. So how do you wrap your mind? And I'm just talking about, you know, many of uh, my clients as well that are really struggling with self-worth. How can they feel that there is a God that seems, you know, sees them as worthy if they don't really see themselves as worthy? That is the, the jump that is a little bit hard for people to really comprehend at times.
2: Yeah, <laughs> It's, it's a jump of personal responsibility, um, which is one of the things that makes it, that makes it difficult. It's, it's easy when there is a power outside of yourself that you can blame. Um, but when you recognize that, and not from a judgmental place, we don't want to say, I feel unlovable because I view myself as unlovable, and so I'm the horrible, terrible person that's making myself feel this way. That doesn't help. But when we recognize that it's the way that we're relating to ourselves that is creating that feeling, not God, not spirit, not the universe, not this unconditionally loving presence, that that presence sees everything that is going through my experience, it knows what my experience is, and still, even in the midst of me not understanding my own magnificence, my own lovability, loves me anyway, then that can become this this background support, the underlying arms, so to speak. So even though I don't feel lovable, I can sit back and realize that there is this unlimited, unconditional presence of love that knows me intimately and loves me no matter what. And with that backing, then I can go and look at myself and say, okay, what are the things about me that I'm focusing on? And what is the negative spin that I'm giving to those things? And then how could I, if there is this presence that, that really loves me unconditionally, how could I use this experience to help grow me to the place where I love myself more like that presence. So it's having that example, it's having that comfort, that that protection, uh, sort of underlying support, and then at the same time using that to say, how can I grow towards that? How can I... For- Give the judgments that I have made against myself, this belief that I am unlovable. Okay, well, what if if it's not that, what is the truth? Well, if the truth is, if there is this infinite presence called spirit, in spirituality we say that God is all there is, spirit is all there is, whatever that is. So it's it's existing as me, it's existing as you, it's existing as everybody. If that's all there is, and that's my essential nature, then how can I shift the way I'm looking at myself? If I've got this judgment. Um, you know, again, we'll go back to the uh, that I'm unlovable thing. Okay, well, I forgive myself for buying into the misbelief that I'm unlovable. Right. The truth is, there is this unlimited presence and power of love that is who and what I am. And so in my very essential nature, I am loving itself. And so we then begin just to practice rethinking the way we are reworking the way we think, paying attention to those thoughts and replacing them with thoughts that are more productive, more love inspiring, more connecting.
1: That is always the first step to have this leap of faith and then follow the path that we are choosing. But I have to ask one more questions around that leap of faith which will happen after the break. Welcome back to Empowerment Radio. We just talked about the leap of faith and how to come from a place where you don't have really a spiritual connection or you do feel completely disillusioned, turning your back on your old religion and you still want some kind of a faith or belief basis, but you don't know how to get there. Now, I told Ben, I want to ask him a question about how to get the jump start. On your spiritual beliefs. What if you have been abused? What if you have gone through a terrible childhood? What if the worst of the worst happened to you or the ones that you love and you really doubt or you cringe when you hear everything about an unconditional loving, supporting, all-knowing force? You wonder how can that allow all these horrific, painful things to happen? What is your answer to that?
2: Well, so a couple things. Um, the first is that if if we have those really traumatic experiences in our lives, um, spirituality as opposed to professional support and therapy is not, we don't substitute one for the other. So if there are those deeply wounding, deeply damaging experiences, um, we need to be aware that, that there is support. For those, and absolutely seek out whatever therapy or counseling we need to help heal those wounds. So, with with spirituality, it is absolutely not a get rid of the standard treatment options and just focus on this. It's a both. Right. Um, so that's the first thing. The second thing is to go back again to what is your foundational belief about spirit. So, from a spiritual perspective, uh, from my view, um, we are. Um, we are expressions of spirit. We're exactly what spirit is, but in the microcosm instead of the macrocosm, which means that we have absolute freedom to do whatever we want, to feel however we want, to create whatever we want. That spiritual presence that has created everything, creates the universe, creates you and me and everything, not, be, not in the typical creation sense, but, uh, but we do that exact same thing. And so if we were to be created other than and if you want to look to the Bible, uh, you know, made in the image and likeness of God, what that means from a spiritual perspective is that we have the exact same authority to create as spirit does when it created everything. So if we were to be limited in that, if God were to say, no, no, I can't allow this to happen, that would then be a removal of our free will. It would be against its nature uh, to withhold itself from its creation. So it's kind of like if, if God is all there is, right? Um, we can put it in, into the, uh, a metaphor of the body, right? So um, the, you cannot, the body cannot withhold blood flow from the finger, right? The blood flow is available to every part of the body all the time. It doesn't withhold or restrict that blood flow. Same thing. The creative capacity that spirit is cannot be withheld or restricted from its creation, which is us, and of course, all of the manifest universe. So that's why God allows these terrible things to happen, because we are given the capacity to create whatever we want. And through the confusion that has been generated throughout generations of human experience, we continue to create these things like war, like abuse, like violence. Uh, We've lost that understanding of the interconnection of all life. So the spiritual concept is that if there is only one thing happening, then you and I are connected. So I can't do anything to you without doing that to myself because it's the same life force that we each live. And so when we have that experience, then it it becomes a really different concept about what am I gonna do to this other person if I recognize that I'm really just doing that to myself. So we've lost that connected experience, which is why all of these things are allowed to happen. Because we feel disconnected, because we don't recognize that what we do to somebody else, we do to ourselves. Um, And so the first thing to the the people who need to take that leap of faith, the first thing is to get all the support that you need, spiritually, medically, otherwise. And then to begin looking at... um, and this is this is a very tough thing, especially you know the more extreme the circumstance is. But what is there for me to learn from this? How can I grow from this experience? Because we really have two options we have the option of being the victim, um, and that's different than being the victim in terms of you are on the receiving end of a victimizing experience right that is that's very different than being a victim in terms of allowing that to degrade you, allowing that to keep you you know, keep you down, keep you depressed, keep you horrible in the way that you feel? Or are we going to take this experience and find a way that we can be benefited from it and learn from it? Again, when it's a really intense experience, that's super difficult to do. It's not easy work at all. But if we we shift our attention from this horrible thing that happened to me and how awful it is that God allowed it to happen and the terrible awfulness of the people that did it. And if, we, if we're focusing again on that terrible awful, we're going to get more of the terrible awful. If we say instead, this experience sucked, I would never have chosen it for myself. Don't like that it was my experience, but I'm going to learn from it. I'm going to grow for it. I'm going to make myself better for having gone through it. And then what are those lessons that I can learn that shifts our perspective to one of growth, to one of healing, to one of empowerment. And that will help with that leap of faith that you talk about. And the other thing that I want to say about leap of faith, because it's a very interesting term. And in spirituality, there really is no leap of faith because in a spiritual practice, what we do is we try out the practice and we see if it works. If we try a particular meditation technique for a while and it's not working, we ditch it. We try a different one. We ditch that. We try a different one until it shows up as working. So it's not that we have to accept blindly that something is going to happen or something is going to work. Rather, we experiment. We test it out. We bring in that scientific mindset and see for us and get rid of what doesn't work for
1: us. Right. I mean, the leap of faith in regards to that there is a spirit, period, and that everything somehow has a meaning and a purpose and a sense. That is, you know, for many, the beginning of it. But yeah, very well said about the, uh, you know, not wanting to stay in the identification of being the victim and asking about the learning. And now, for many people that are looking for spirituality, they are looking also for someone that they can ask for guidance. They can ask for help. They can ask for these bad things not to happen anymore. Now, from what you're saying in, in your spirituality, it's like, okay, there is this, Power that we all have, and that means like from that moment, that greater spirit just lets things happen, like the blood flow to the finger. Or do you, in your practice and how you're teaching, also teach that we can ask for support?
2: We absolutely can ask for support. Um, we can ask for anything we want. The question becomes then, who are we asking, and how are we receiving? That's right. So That's right. if if I believe in a Um, in in a separate God outside of myself, who has the opportunity to choose whether or not to say yes to a request, Um, then it is a very beseeching, very begging, very, oh my God, this might not happen type of thing. If that spirit that we're asking for support from, again, what's what's our ground of Around that spirit. If I believe that it is unconditionally loving, that it is present everywhere within me, as me, and all around me, then it is also who and what I am. So when I ask for support from that, I'm not going to something outside of myself. I'm asking within myself for that support. And I can, because I'm only going to receive that support inside myself anyway, right? I'm going to feel that inside. I'm going to feel that in my experience. So it's got to come from within. So in this idea, like, yes, uh, in spiritually speaking, uh, I am an expression of the divine, as are you, but I am not the totality of the expression of the divine. I'm connected to it. I am one with it. But it is far greater than what I am in my own limited human perspective growing into a spiritual understanding, right? So I I can ask to that larger part of myself for that support. But the key is it's not something disconnected from me. It's something that I am connected with, that I am one with, that I am part of. So there is that free flow of what I ask for to the degree that I am able in my own consciousness to open and
1: receive it. But that's also what you just said about the, uh, you know, looking from within for whatever you're asking. So you're not asking for the winning lottery ticket. You're not asking for the circumstances that are all different and better. You're not asking for, you know, that uh, partner who's going to find you finally. You are actually asking for something else, such as being open to receive or being open to get, you know, clarity and inspiration on what else to do in order to improve your financial situation and seeing the opportunities and going for them, having the courage. And and that's a very different understanding of spirituality. And I do believe that uh, many people can relate to that much better than the idea of the man in the cloud that gonna kind of once in a while sprinkle fairy dust on us and hopefully make everything better. Now, let's say this is the starting point. You can all somehow subscribe to let's go for that spirituality. But how do you foster a practice? How do you really? I mean, you said like try different things out, like going to the great sizzler's buffet of spirituality and pick something and then go from there. But where do you start? What's what's something that you describe in your book and recommend?
2: So, uh, sure. So there are um, one of the first things that we do in the book is we look at these typically religious terms, which if you're a spiritual but not religious person, if you're somebody who is looking to get away from religion these terms have a lot of charge around them. The ideas of uh, the word God, the word heaven, the word hell, the word sin, all of these typical religious terms have such a weight and can bear such a negative connotation that they get in the way. So one of the places to start is in redefining those terms, to looking maybe historically at what the term meant. Um, One that is maybe more well-known than others is Uh, the idea of sin originally was an archery term that just meant missing the mark. It wasn't a term that meant you're a terrible, awful person who God is judging. It just meant you shot at the target, you didn't hit the bullseye. Now you can judge yourself for it or you can take another shot and try to hit the bullseye again. (laughs) What you did before. So we can shift that. The idea of heaven and hell. Um, Everybody has said at one point in time, oh my God, that was a hellish experience or oh man, this was heavenly. So if we redefine heaven and hell from real estate that we acquire after we die to an experience that happens right here and right now, then that completely shifts our experience of it. We can then look at, if I'm having a hellish experience, how am I creating that hellish experience for myself? How am I looking at the world around me that brings me this experience? And if I've had a heavenly experience, and I can recreate that too once I understand how I did that to begin with. So a good first step is looking at all of those terms that you have agitation around and, and redefining them in a way that works for you, that doesn't bring up that animosity, that connects you to whatever that spiritual understanding is that you have. We can only be connected to the God of our own understanding. We can't connect to something that is beyond our understanding. And our, standing, our understanding continually grows. So we start right where we are. Um, a wonderful practice, you mentioned meditation, uh, meditation is a great place to start, simply because it helps to quiet down the chattering mind that tends to hold a lot of those negative thoughts anyway. Um, and meditation, again, so much of this stuff is is overly mysticized and, and uh, taken out of the practical context that it's in. So meditation can be as simple as closing your eyes, setting a timer for two minutes, and every time you breathe in, thinking, I am breathing in, and every time you breathe out, thinking, I am breathing out. And just do that for two minutes or one minute. That's a meditation. That's a meditation technique. So there are, uh, that's a wonderful place to start. Um, you know, contemplation is a wonderful place to start. We have this amazing ability to think about what we think about. Mm -hmm. We have thoughts and then we can go and look at those thoughts and say, well, why am I thinking that thought? Is that thought really true? What's the tone of voice that I hear in my head when I think that thought? Is it even my voice that says that thought in my head or is it somebody else's voice? And if it's somebody else's voice, then where did I hear this thought to begin with? Where did I get that thought in the first place? Is that a thought I want to keep? So we can contemplate uh, the ways that we look at the world to find where we want to get rid of stuff that isn't working anymore and adopt new beliefs that are. Um, again, there are there are nine different uh, practices that I have in the book, and that's just a, a small sampling of what we can do. Um, forgiveness is huge. Um, you know, everybody, everybody likes to talk about forgiveness and say, oh my God, well, you, should, you just need to forgive that. Well, they never talk about really what forgiveness is or how to do forgiveness. Um, So we fix that in the book. There's two different forgiveness techniques. Uh, Redefines how and why we do forgiveness. Forgiveness is not about somebody else. You don't have to go ask somebody to forgive you. You don't have to go forgive another person. The judgments happened inside of you. The person you have to forgive is you for making the judgments in the first place. And when we do that, when we forgive those judgments inside, then the external experience of having the judgment about the other person dissipates. It goes away. We don't have to go outside of ourselves to do this practice, which oftentimes can be a barrier, right? If you think I've got to get forgiveness from this person, but oops, they're dead. Then we're stuck with the judgment or they don't want to talk with us anymore. They refuse to forgive us. If we've got that understanding, then we're limited. Then we're stuck with the judgment with a horrible experience.
1: Now, you could so, say uh, like, that, from what you're describing, this is more a practice of self-awareness, of mm-hmm. connecting to yourself. And uh, now, where is the spirit in that part?
2: So the spirit in that part is that if God is all there is, if spirit is all there is, then by connecting to yourself, you're connecting to spirit. And that the way that we think about ourselves, like... Uh, You know, going back to to where I started about having this such incredibly low self-esteem, that's how I thought about myself at the time. And that was true of my experience because that's how I thought about myself. I don't think about myself that way anymore. I'm much more connected to spirit. I feel a lot more love and connection in my life all the time. I'm married to an amazing opera singer, right? Like I've got all of this wonderful stuff that seemed impossible from where I knew myself to be back 10, 15 years ago. That's going to continue to grow as I continue to go into my spiritual practice to recognize and identify myself with spirit. My understanding of what spirit is, is going to expand. How I relate to that is going to expand. Who I understand myself to be is going to grow into ever increasing areas of peace and love and joy and all of these wonderful things. On the way, having all of the difficulty and all the struggle of regular life, but having that spiritual practice to support me. So connect with that spirit because that is who and what we are in essence. And we can only connect with it really inside because that's where our experience happens anyway. We never have an experience outside of ourselves. You know, the, the people who listen to this, the wonderful viewers and the wonderful listeners are not experiencing me inside their computer. They're experiencing me inside their own consciousness. right? So everything we experience is inside. We experience God inside. We experience spirit inside. And so as we grow our understanding of ourselves as connected to spirit, and as we expand our understanding of what spirit is, that's where the connection happens. And that's where it grows and deepens and becomes more palpable and more powerful.
1: Now, do you, I mean, like the traditional religions, they often talk about prayer. And, you know, connecting to the higher power in God through really focusing in meditation, prayer, rosaries, you name it, to that, are you teaching such a practice too, to be able to connect to that? Let's say there is your your mind, your consciousness, your subconscious, your body, all of those wonderful aspects of ourself. And then there is something that goes maybe beyond that more, you know, the soul, the spirit, whatever you want to call it. Maybe that eternal part of you, which we haven't talked about, if there's in your concept something eternal that goes beyond this life. But how do you connect to that? What are you teaching to do that?
2: So absolutely, prayer is, is a big part of a spiritual practice. The question becomes, and neither is right or wrong, it's just what works best for the individual, is it an affirmative prayer or a prayer of supplication? So is it a begging, please, God, please do this for me type of prayer? Or is it a prayer that affirms the answer to the prayer in the prayer itself? So from the spiritual context, um, it's not about convincing God of anything. Because God being omniscient, this is one of the things that a lot of religions agree on, all knowing. That presence already knows exactly what we're going to pray for. It already knows exactly what we need. It's already giving, because of its giving nature, the answer to that prayer before we even pray it. The difficulty is in our receiving. So in an affirmative prayer, what we're doing is we're praying to adjust our own consciousness. We're praying to grow our consciousness. We're praying to that spirit inside of us, to that connection with God that is ever, ever present, that doesn't have the limitations that our waking consciousness has. But it is a prayer more about convincing ourselves than about convincing God. Um, but in, uh, so in centers for spiritual living, they have a five-step affirmative prayer practice. It starts with recognizing that spirit, with calling forth this idea that God, the universe spirit is all there is and bringing forward into our minds, all of the qualities of that, that we want. There is only one life. This life is perfect. It is the perfect life of spirit. It is unconditionally loving. It is the only life there is. So we bring that in first, then we identify with it. If it's the only life there is, it must be the life that I live. All the things that are true of this life, that unconditional loving presence, that ever-giving nature, that unlimited prosperity that spirit is, is also true of me. Even if it's not in my experience right now, that's the truth of who and what I am. We call that presence in, we unify with it, and then we speak the realization that we want to have. So instead of saying, I just, I don't have enough money and I really need to get more money because, oh my God, the bills are too much. That's focusing on what we don't want. Instead it's in this moment, I rework my cut, open to the prosperity that's all around me and see new opportunities to increase the flow of good coming to me, not only monetarily, but in friends and time and ideas and new ways of being. So we speak what it is that we want as an ever present reality. The fourth step is giving thanks for that. Gratitude is a spiritual practice. I know it's about to be Thanksgiving. Gratitude is not something that we jump into once a year when we overeat on turkey. It is a spiritual practice that we engage with every single second of every single day. And to the degree that we do so, we open ourselves up to receive more because gratitude is generative, right? When you feel grateful, you generate more gratitude. You share that with other people. It draws more to you. Um, And then finally, releasing it, letting it go. Knowing that that infinite presence of all wisdom that births the universe and creates every single thing in existence knows exactly what is mine, what I need in this moment. And that the highest good of all concerned is being done right now. And I let it go and just letting it go then opens to allow the receiving to come in.
1: Um, So I can actually say that this form of prayer, uh, the spiritual treatment is uh, incredibly powerful. So I have practiced this. many times for many years, and it's certainly something, whether you are a member of that specific uh, congregation or spiritual belief or not, uh, it's something that I find really shifts the consciousness, and that's, you know, what you're talking about. Now, you know, unfortunately, we are running out of time, but I have one more important question, which is people that are critical of those that are saying I'm spiritual but not religious, they are saying it's incredibly selfish. It's incredibly selfish to just focus on your own brand of spirituality because religion has the advantage that we are actually engaged in life. We are coming together. We are making a difference. We are a united force. And if you only are living in your little cocoon of your own spirituality, you make yourself feel good, but ultimately you're not making a difference. What would you say to that?
2: Well, I would say a couple of things. First off, I would say clearly the person who would say that about me doesn't know me. um, (laughs) Because I do have a huge impact on the world around me, and so many people do. So so that's the first thing, is get to know the person before you actually make a comment about them that you don't necessarily know is true. The other thing that I would say is, uh, and I would say this in a lot of different areas, a person making that comment says more about them than it does the person they're commenting on. And that's the same about me. If I say something negative about another person, that says more about me than it does about that person. It says where I'm focusing. Uh, there is this idea in psychology of projection, which says that we cannot see something in anybody else if it's not already existing in ourselves. So if I'm criticizing somebody, if I'm saying, um, you know, you've got, you're not connected with the world, and you're not making a big enough impact, what that's really saying about me is that I'm afraid that I'm not making. A big um, I apologize about that. That's my friend, Scam Likely, who's been calling me a lot lately. <laughs> um, um, so so that's what I would say, is that, you know, we don't have to take on what other people say about us.
1: But, but ultimately, I feel like it's important to have a spirituality together with others? Does it increase its potency? Does it increase the difference we can make? Or are we becoming all little spiritual hermits that are just trying to connect to whatever makes us feel good?
2: Oh, absolutely. Spiritual community is, is incredibly important and incredibly vital. Um, there, those of us who can go be hermits are few and far between. Um, for those who that actually works, great, go do that all day long. Um, but eventually, spiritual community is something that we all need. A connection. You know, and this is the idea about, about spirituality. It's it's not relegated to church on Sundays. Spirituality is an ever-present reality. So the spiritual community that I have can certainly take place in a church. It can certainly take place in a spiritual center. It can take place in a book club where we're reading a book about personal growth. It can take place in the workplace. It can take place anywhere. But yes, it is uh, it is incredibly helpful to have that spiritual community because as we learn, as we as our stuff comes up, right, the more we learn, the more we find we have to clear and get rid of. As we grow, the heavier things are going to come up. So it's very helpful to have that community when you're going through something difficult that you can get support from. It's, it's very important to be able to learn from other people's experiences. Not that what somebody else experiences is necessarily the same thing as what I'm going to experience. But seeing somebody having excelled through something uh, is, is, of course, very helpful in me doing the same thing. So, so yes, ultimately, spiritual community is important. And there is a chapter in the book on finding or creating that. Um, and we don't have to have uh, the traditional religious church experience as the spiritual community. So church-free spirituality is not about negating church in any way. It's simply about saying that that spiritual connection that we have is not dependent upon church, that we can create that in any experience, anytime. But ultimately, yes, that spiritual community is incredibly important. The listeners to your show can be a spiritual community. If they have wonderful conversations in the comments section, that's a spiritual community, right? There's a limitless number of ways that we can create that.
1: Well, I think very well said. I love this, uh, you know, just also calling to sharing our spirituality. As I said at the beginning, we're kind of keeping it private. We're keeping it personal. We don't necessarily want to talk about it, but I think it's very important because we are all teachers and students from and for each other. And so also when it comes to that important aspect of our existence, it's very vital to share it with each other. Thank you so much for sharing your wisdom, your inspirations. And for this great book, again, people can purchase it probably everywhere. And it is called what and how is your website called?
2: So the book is Church-Free Spirituality, How to Craft a Spiritual Practice Beyond the Bounds of Religion. Amazon's a great place to go get it. It's available on barnesandnoble.com too. So um, you can get it pretty much anywhere. Uh, The website for me is benjamison.com. That's J-A-M-I-S-O-N. And there's a link to connect on the book there, as well as my Church-Free Spirituality video series, where I post a new video every week, about three to seven minutes, uh, exploring a new spiritual idea, exploring a topic and where the rubber meets the road of it in our everyday lives and our spiritual practice.
1: Excellent. Thank you so much for being such a bright force and light in the world. Thank you for listening and watching Empowerment Radio. Keep on searching for empowerment, the light within, your spiritual path, and anything that feels right. Goodbye.
0: You've been listening to Empowerment Radio with Dr. Friedemann Schaub. Join Dr. Friedemann the first and third Wednesday each month at 11 a.m. Pacific, as he addresses some of the most prevailing challenges of our daily lives. Discover how you can use the power of your mind to overcome stress, anxiety, and overwhelm and create a solid foundation of confidence and self-esteem. Learn cutting-edge tools so that you can approach every day with great ease, joy, and purpose. To learn more about what Dr. Schaub can do for you, visit TheFearAndAnxietySolution.com.